75 years ago, on September 5th, 1945, the Russian cipher clerk, Igor Guzenko, left his workplace at the Soviet embassy in Ottawa for the last time. Unknown to Soviet officials, Guzenko carried with him numerous secret documents and, unknown to Canadian officials, these documents detailed a Soviet spy ring rooted in Canada. Three days after the Japanese signed their official surrender, ending the Second World War, Guzenko's walk from the Soviet embassy to the offices of the Ottawa Journal were the first steps towards the Cold War. I'm Brendan, and this is the Canada's History Podcast. Today, I am speaking with Evie Wilson, a meteorologist who is the daughter of Igor and Svetlana Guzenko. Thanks for joining me. Thank you, Brandon. A pleasure to be here. How did your father and mother first find themselves in Ottawa? That's a very good question, Brandon. I have to reflect in my answer on what I have heard, what I have read, and then the glimpses of what I remember. So this may be different from what people read. They were soldiers in World War II, as you as you may recall. Our parents were part of the Red Army. They were seconded from university and put into the military and had some frontline duties. Then they were seconded to the Military Intelligence Corps, which is known as a GRU. And from there, during and just after World War II, they were stationed at the embassy in Ottawa and as part of the Soviet legation there. That was during the war years from 1943 to 1945, going on to their third year at the embassy. The way they had arrived at the embassy was separate for each party. My father came as part of the Soviet contingency from Moscow to Alaska, or Vladivostok first, and then from there to Alaska by air, along with his colleagues, including his commander, his immediate commander, uh, Colonel Nikolai Zabotin. From there, the group came into Canada, landing in Edmonton, from Alaska to Edmonton. And my father stepped on Canadian soil for the first time on June the 25th, 1943. And he had not left Canada since that time until he died on the very same day, 39 years later. So there's a little bit of history for you on how he arrived in in, uh, Canada. My mother traveled with her group, which followed later in the summer of 1943. I believe it was August of 1943 that her group traveled separately, as was the policy at that time for the wives and the the others in the group. They had left Moscow via train across Siberia to Horton in, I believe, Vladivostok as well, and came across the Pacific Ocean during a very difficult time, and that's part of her memoirs. When she arrived in in, uh, North America, they had ported in, in, I believe, Washington State and had was Seattle, and uh, from there they took a train across America to Washington, and then from Washington up to Ottawa, and uh, arrived in, I believe it was late August of 1943, and began their work at that time. On arrival, they had both uh, settled into their jobs at the embassy separately, but together at the end of the summer of 1943. They were housed with all of the other staff at the embassy in Ottawa, but The demands were so great on the staff, and the housing was so limited at the embassy site itself because of the expanding staff, that they um, were 
issued an apartment in Ottawa, as were other staff. There were other staff who were also allocated to separate housing in the area, and they worked from there. Now, the um, story from there is, uh, it becomes much more complex. When they arrived, they had a certain perception of what Canada was like, what Canadians and Americans were like. And as each day passed, their illusions were dispelled and they discovered that Canada and the United States were beautiful countries with beautiful people and very prosperous society certainly more freedoms than they had ever known in their lives. They were born into a totalitarian society, and they continued. They grew up in that society and knew, really knew uh, no other. But they were also very good soldiers and stayed focused on their work at the embassy. After working at the embassy for a while, how did your parents decide to defect, or as you say they preferred to call it, escape? Yes, in, in August of 1945, that was when the situation changed dramatically. As you'll recall, the Pacific War with Japan had ended after two atomic bombs were detonated. Now, that was a significant moment in history for everyone, but for those who were at the embassy and who were involved in these operations, it was a stark reality that the weapons that were used, the two atomic bombs that were detonated, our parents were stationed at the embassy and knew that one of the prime objectives was to obtain data and materials from the atomic bomb development. This was the secret Manhattan Project, and at that time the embassy's full focus was on developing the materials and the basic instructions on how to build a bomb. And these were stolen materials taken from the Manhattan Project and delivered to Moscow Center through the Soviet Embassy in, in Ottawa. It was at that moment that our parents realized that this was no longer a theoretical study, theoretical development of nuclear weapons, and they also knew that the primary objective of their embassy in Ottawa was the collection and transfer of this top-secret data and the materials from the Manhattan Project, delivering these to Moscow. The thought was paralyzing for them that the uh, totalitarian dictator, Joseph Stalin, would have a secret weapon of this scope in his arsenal. They knew he would use it. They felt a profound urgency to warn the West. So at the time of their decision, it became clear that there was very limited time War was now over. The uh, window was closing. They were recalled back to Moscow, which is a normal uh, expectation. They were preparing to leave to Moscow and to join their family again, and then to go on to other duties and tasks. But this moment in time was a turning point, as I mentioned. They, they couldn't go back. They knew that they had to warn the West, and they also knew what this meant the dangers involved, the prospect that they would not survive such an escape, and then to be believed once they had escaped. My dad was in a optimum position to, to reveal what was happening behind the scenes, and of course this involved allocating and, and putting together materials that would convince the West of what was taking place. Now, this story is a lot more complex than I'm relating here. But overall, their decision was made in August of 1945. The final decision to, to leave didn't happen until the day before. That would be September the 4th, 1945, when they made the final decision to take the step and to, to leave the embassy. 
Brendan, I guarantee that they wouldn't be working in their jobs if there was any doubt whatsoever of their intentions. If anyone knew in advance that this was going to happen, it wouldn't have happened. The reason it was successful is that they had acted spontaneously. They had acted quickly. Uh, they had spoken to no one, no one else, and they had not made contact with the West in any in any form or any way at all. And finally, the first place they went to after they escaped from the embassy itself was the newspaper, trusting the newspapers more than they would trust any other agency, knowing the scope of Soviet infiltration at that time. They were successful. That they were successful is due to a number of a number of things. One being that they didn't make any prior contact, and then I would say good luck of uh, meeting the right people and having the documents. The documents were really supported everything. I think without the documents, there would have been no success at all. They would not have been able to convince any of the authorities that this was really taking place. Once they were taken seriously by the Canadian authorities, what happened to your family? After they were finally able to convince the authorities and able to, and others were supporting them, and I think that's an important point that there were others involved who supported this this finding, especially when they viewed the original documents. They were convincing and included materials that were stolen from the West, from the Canadian government offices. And this this is what made the difference. So they were taken seriously. And they were whisked away into safe houses by the security personnel in Ottawa at the time. Going back to that time, there was very little in the way of any anticipation of uh, espionage and, and infiltration, uh, sabotage and so on that were taking place. The uh, security system that was in place at the time was largely handled by Great Britain at that time. And the, um, the very fact that when our parents were briefed and they spoke of MI in, um, in London, in, in England, they were shocked because this was secret for most people from the average citizen. And that someone from the Soviet embassy would know the details to the degree that they understood them uh, was a shock. So when they were finally taken seriously, they were interrogated, brought to, and kept safe at the safe houses and different locations in Ottawa and outside of Ottawa. And then eventually, they found their way to Camp X near Oshawa on uh, the shore of Lake Ontario. And this was a, a site where, during World War II, those who were sent in behind enemy lines from the Allied Corps were trained once war, World War II had ended, the um, facilities there were closed, and this became an ideal location to keep the family until such time as the, um, the debriefings were completed and the trials were completed. Our parents weren't allowed off the site, and uh, only briefly for the trials, my dad would be released and accompanied by uh, security personnel. It was there that I was born in December 1945. Although I was there, the only really true recollections I have are uh, when I was a little older. As I understand, what happened is I was born at Camp X. The doctor for the Camp X site throughout World War II was there for this for the support. And he had delivered me. And then they traveled by car in a snowstorm to the um, Oshawa Hospital to be registered, to be treated, and so on. However, at that time, of course, um, the Soviets were looking at all of the hospitals, knowing that my mother was going to give birth at any time. And so this added an extra degree of security. The RCMP officer who 
acted as my father, did speak perfect Russian, and he was able to communicate with my mother, who spoke only Russian at that time. And he was able to manage the uh, process of registration and convincing the staff that this uh, he was a local immigrant and that they were... Um, and the background story at that time. Now, I don't know what the name is that I was born under, but I do know that it was registered. It wasn't the name that we grew up under. So at that time, I was too young to really, even at two years old, I was too young to really uh, understand what was going on. This was before we were given our cover story and before the um, final uh, release of the Royal Commission report in 1946. How aware were you of this story, this history, growing up? Well, actually, I, I had no knowledge of it. All of those background stories and experiences, I just chalked up to, uh, you know, normal life of, as immigrant family. We uh, grew up with the understanding we were a Czechoslovakian family, and we believed mm -hmm. this. We had no reason to think otherwise. Our parents had accents and spoke a different language. We were not allowed to speak that language. I did learn a few words when I was very young, but discouraged to use it after after we, we found our way from Camp X into, into freedom and into a new name and cover story. Now, we grew up with that cover story, not knowing the true story and believing that we were indeed the children born in Canada of Czechoslovakian parents. And even though we lived in a community that was uh, largely Anglo-Saxon, they were not, it was not integrated as it is today. And so we were rather the odd family out. Parents had the accent. We had a slightly different culture. But beyond that, I would say we felt pretty normal growing up in that community and had lots of friends and lots of good experiences. And certainly, we didn't pay much attention to politics. We were too young and too busy with our growing up lives to even think about it. Now, we do recall certain events happening. And when you're looking back, you realize that these these events coincided with what happened on the, on the larger political scale. For example, it was King George VI that gave us, that gave our family, our citizenship. This is Queen Elizabeth's father, King George VI. And we have the paper with his seal showing us that we are Canadian citizens. And that would include my mother and dad, my older brother, and myself. And the reason for that, even though my brother and I were both born on Canadian soil, is that the Soviets owned all children who belonged to Soviet parentage. And this was their policy and their law. And uh, in order for us to be true Canadians, we had to have registration citizenship in Canada, even though we were we children were born on Canadian soil. Now, when King George VI died in early, I believe it was 1952, if I'm correct, and I believe the coronation took place in 1953, the coronation of Queen Elizabeth. But I remember those days. I was in public school, and I remember them very, very clearly, and I have written about those stories. So there is a little window of time that showed you there was some superpositioners of events, and significance at that time wasn't that clear. To me, later in life, looking back, then it suddenly became clear what was happening. When you're young, you, you don't pay much attention to, uh, to these details, and you certainly don't question them. But later in life, as you reflect, you, you do see a, a, a juxtaposition of history and then day-to-day -day events in growing up in, the, in a uh, witness protection program.
you know, how did we find out? How did how did I become aware of my father's history growing up? No, I wasn't aware of it. But how did I find out? Uh, it wasn't until my mid-teens. And this is not as if this is the one and only event that took place or a series of events that took place that would raise your attention and, and concern. But you would not dig into it deeper because you're you're just a kid growing up. And uh, everyone was going through the Cold War in the background. We all knew about events in the Cold War, but they didn't seem to impact us directly as, as students in public school and high school. We heard about them. We, um, we certainly heard about the um, different confrontations when Czechoslovakia was invaded, when Hungary was invaded. And those events, the um, Cold War had many episodes, and these all uh, were rather in the background, not in the foreground of our, our lives growing up. So each one of us siblings, incidentally, really did learn differently. I'm speaking of my experience, and their experiences are probably very different, especially the younger set. By the time the younger set had come along, there was uh, much more information available and there was certainly a lot of gossip and then the gossip became stronger as time went on. The older kids probably spoke to the younger kids and on the story goes. So my experience, I can only relate firsthand and say that I really didn't understand any of the story until my mother told me the true identity when I was in my mid-teens. And it, it happened because I confronted her with a story that happened at school, uh, an event that happened at school. And so I brought it to her and I said, you know, this, this doesn't make sense. Can you explain? And uh, so she did. We were in the kitchen and she kept working and she just kept talking. And I kept listening and asking and questioning. And bottom line is this. She said, you must keep this absolutely secret. When, when confronted, you simply pass it off. You say, uh, dismiss it uh, as, as it would be um, just simply hearsay and really something that they shouldn't be paying attention to either. And, and carry on and carry on for the sake of the family. And I think this has always been their first priority was the family. They uh, really did protect us. I don't think the full scope of the story of their story and their true identity is even fully understood today. There's so much to the story. There's materials that they've, they've written that are not published and that are things that the family at large haven't looked at. Uh, I have, I have studied these materials for, for some years, so I do know and have a better fix on the story. But it's very difficult for people to pull away from their daily lives. And there's a, a great deal of stigma attached to this. So they uh, do not like to be associated with the politics. I feel that way sometimes, but I also feel a, a sense of duty to ensure that the correct story is brought forward. I'm sure some people are aware of Igor and Svetlana Guzenko as historical figures, but what were they like as people? Oh, I have a, so much to say about uh, how wonderful my parents are. I, I am faulted because some people perceive this as uh, putting them up on a pedestal. I can guarantee they were the best parents anyone could imagine, considering the demands on their lives. Once I put myself in their shoes, I understood so much better how much sacrifice they made and how amazing they were in their roles as parents. I know my father was among the very best fathers there could be. I didn't know this growing up. I didn't really understand this because I took for granted that all dads were the same. It wasn't until I grew up and had a family of my own that I really discovered his incredible qualities. Uh, he would be um, 
uh, he would be really concerned about our, our security and, sa- and safety. These were his number one priority. And we often thought that it was um, too much. It wasn't like the other families. We didn't know why. But he would put us first. It was important for him to ensure that we were safe every day. He would walk us to school and back. Uh, this is when we were in public school, and we really did walk miles to school at that time. And I'm sure that because of his caution and his safety instructions, our lives were saved many times. We didn't really appreciate it when we were living through it, but I think in retrospect, we understand now that he was really ahead of his time. He would caution us, for example, about the perils of smoking. And this was something very much in vogue during the teen years. He really put down the the law on smoking and wouldn't allow it. And, you know, we as teens might have dismissed us. Now, I never did smoke myself, but uh, I do remember the very, very, very strong instructions. And yet a lot of the teens around me, they did smoke. And we know today that that's not a good idea. He also poured drinking, and he warned us against doing that. He was well-educated, so he knew certain things that others didn't. And when we went to a store to have new shoes put on, there was the um, very popular x-ray machines in each of the shoe stores at that time. And these x-ray machines, would you'd you'd slip your feet under, and you'd have it x-rayed, and it would show you if the shoes were fitting or not. And he forbade us to use these. He knew the dangers of x-rays. And the staff were dismissive and, you know, putting him down as if he was backward. And I know now that he was absolutely right. And it wasn't long after that those machines were deemed dangerous for public use. So he he knew. These were the kinds of things that we, we lived through. He was always taking extra caution and care. Now, as people in their daily lives, another thing I took for granted is that all parents did this was... Um, their artwork. They were true artists at heart. Now, that wasn't part of the cover story that they were artists, but every day they were involved in artwork. And these are some of the greatest memories I have of our parents is sitting at the easel and, and painting in their oils. They um, met in a university in art school and one of the most esteemed art schools in uh, Moscow. And they were both studying for architecture. Oh, and that's where they met. And they both loved art. Uh, and this thread carried on right through their life, eclipsed by the politics for sure. But uh, it was a passion that they both shared and I'm sure kept them strong and, and able to handle some of the most difficult experiences that anyone could imagine. And, of course, worrying, worrying about their, their family left behind and then their family here in Canada that they were raising on their own. I think that's a great way to round off the story. Thanks for talking with me today. Well, you're very welcome. I hope that some of the uh, listeners are able to identify with our parents and, and the difficulties that they had in their lives here in Canada under these very difficult circumstances. They uh, were certainly wonderful people. They had a love of uh, art, of music, certainly appreciated education and its value and encouraged us all in these directions. Thank you very much, Brendan, for allowing me to speak a little bit about that experience. It was my pleasure. Thanks. You're very welcome.